Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. So, what I have this morning, um, I actually got like a month after last year. The Lord spoke to me really quickly, and that, that doesn't usually happen. And when I tell you what the topic is, first of all, I don't want you to lose your joy. Don't lose your joy. And it's not just for a select group of people. So I am going to talk about marriage. But don't tune me out if you're used to be married, not married, not even thinking about marriage if you're in high school. Don't tune me out because... I'm not getting too nitty-gritty. It's going to be, it's something that everyone can use in their relationships, in your walk with God and your relationships. So if you know me, I hope you all have something to write with, because I'm going to give you some life-saving scriptures, scriptures that I live on, I think you should live on, amen? So go ahead and turn to Ephesians 6. Praise the Lord. So one of the reasons that I want to talk about marriage is, you know, the enemy hates marriage. And actually, he hates your marriage. Take it personal. He hates your marriage. He does. He hates family. He wants to tell you that doing things family and marriage way, according to the Bible, is old and outdated. Everything in culture is pushing that. Oh, that's, that's weird old traditional stuff. No, we do what the Bible says. We follow the Bible because that's the only thing that works. It's the only thing that will, that will bring you up to a new level or save a relationship. It's the only thing. It's the only way Do it the way God wants it done. So let's look at Ephesians 6. I think it's 6-1 because I didn't write it down. So finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against each other. But against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The message version, I love it. And that about wraps it up. God is strong. He is strong. And you know what? That God's strength is in us. It is in us. We might have gotten out of the habit of leaning in on it and yielding to it, but it is there. And he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials. We're going to be talking about some weapons this morning. And put them to use. It's a choice. Put them to use. So you may be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, kind of like marriage. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. 
So all during your journey, even if it's just a journey in relationships that you have every day, no matter whether it's father-daughter, you know, with you, with your mother, with your best friend, you know, remember who your battle is against. It is not against them. It is not. The enemy is the one who wants to come in and destroy all relationships. All. It's, one, it's part of his ammo. So the bad news is the enemy will come against you and your relationships, your marriage. But the good news, turn to Isaiah fifty four fifteen. God always has an answer. Always, always, always. If you get to the place in your life where you think there's not and it's hopeless, just remember that is a total lie. Total, total, total lie. God never talks to you and makes you feel that way. Never, 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 never. He always has a way. He always has an answer. And I don't care how bad, how scary, how awful something looks. Amen? Isaiah fifty four fifteen. Indeed, they shall surely assemble, but not because of me. Whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. If they come, the devil comes against you in your marriage, you will fall. Anybody who's being used to do that, they will fall. They will fall for your sake. We have that promise. You know, principalities, powers, rulers, they hate you. Why? Because you're creating influence. You're creating stability. You're creating a family of God. We have a job while we're living in this age. And that's a part of our job. And he hates it. He absolutely hates it. Never forget, you are not fighting another person. You are not. You need to step out in your God-given authority and take care of, recognize it's the enemy, and take authority over it. Amen? So, more good news. Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work a good work, good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will work in you. But listen, your marriage is a good work. The, the dirty four-letter word in those two words is work, though. But we have to recognize that. It's in there for a reason. Because guess what? Sometimes work is hard. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's dirty. You feel like you're in the mud. You feel like think your whole life is messed up. But that doesn't mean it's falling apart and you're having a bad work. Your marriage is a good work. You know why? Because God thought of it. It was his idea. But it's a work. It's a good work. Sometimes you're going to have to remind yourself of that. This is a good work, and it will produce good fruit. Amen? God's not finished. He's not finished with you, your relationships, your marriages. It is a journey, and it will continue to be a work, but a good work. Stir yourself up on that as when you get in those times where it feels tough. You think about the, uh, I think it's the Sistine Chapel. Is it in Rome? And it's on the ceiling. Is that considered one of the most beautiful artworks 
probably in the world. Imagine how physically painful it was for them to do that. Because I don't think they had it on the floor and did it and then plastered it up there. I honestly am not sure, but I'm pretty sure they had to get up there and do it. You probably would know. Is that a good work? Yeah. I mean, in the natural. Yeah, it's beautiful. But I'm sure it was tough. I'm sure it was painful during the process. You and your relationships that are godly relationships, let me make sure and say, are good work and they will produce fruit. So it's important, I said earlier, we have to do things God's way. We have to do our relationships God's way. We have to do marriage God's way, biblically. It's the only way things are going to change, go up to the next new level. Things are going to work appropriately and produce the kind of fruit that they're supposed to. We can't do it mom's way. We can't do it the way TV says. And I was one of those kids, you know, I was one of those ungodly kids watching whatever on TV and all my ideas of relationships was from that, from culture, from TV, and it's not God's way. And, 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 and I had to, when I got in fellowship with the Lord, I had to completely renew my mind that, oh, you know, doing that produces horrible, <laughs> horrible benefits. Horrible. So we have to do it God's way. Turn to Proverbs 19.13. And so I have a couple of things before I get into some real meat here. Things to watch out for. Number one, be respectful. And like I said, this this applies to all your relationships. You should be respectful to each other. But B, you need to be respectful to your husbands. Even if they're ungodly. You need to have respect for them in the home. It's It's not an excuse. Well, they're not going to church. I don't have to respect them. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Proverbs 19.13, a foolish son is the ruin of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. Contentions, heated arguments. Why am I talking about this? Because one of the ways that we're respectful is we watch our mouths. Ooh, I told you, don't lose your joy this morning. <laughs> I'm believing Pastor Greg got you all primed and ready for today, last Sunday night, when he said, we're going to be real and talk to you like we talk to the teenagers. Because I know you can handle it. And I know you ladies, we can handle it. So we have to watch our mouths sometimes. Because that's where a lot of the disrespect comes out of. It says, the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. Have you ever heard a faucet just Does it get annoying after a while? Does it make you just want to hang out and listen? Is it attractive? (laughs) No. God said that's us. If we're not watching our mouths, he's not going to want to hang out with us. (laughs) He's not going to want to be around a continual annoying drip or disrespect. No. There's no reason Even if you're having a disagreement, you can still be respectful and be careful. Amen? 
You know, we show that respect in front of our children by how we talk to them. And our children will respect both of us. It will help you with your whole family. Amen. Number two. Ooh, did I even say this? Number two, something to be careful about. And this is just, a, it's a woman thing. I mean, in Genesis, it even mentions it. Quit trying to control him. <laughs> hey, I am up here, not burying my soul, but I've been through all of this. <laughs> I've done all of this. <laughs> all of this. It's another way we're disrespectful, thinking that that's our job. It's not our job. Amen? One of the ways that we do that is through nagging, hinting over and over. You know, your husband hears it. He hears it. Just because he doesn't say something doesn't mean he doesn't hear it. He notices. And, and honestly, it's like a temporary fix for our soul to get what we want. And, and that's, not, that's not God's way. We want God's way. I'll give you my own personal example. So we had this cat. He's underground now. <laughs> Pablo, you know. He was a mistake from the beginning. <laughs> and I'm the one who pushed to have the cat. I'm glad Mia's not here because she'd be crying already. She loved that cat. So the other cat has been wonderful, and my husband loves that cat, and she loves him. Like, they're really the married ones. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, there's a big difference in how she treats me, and, and you, you've seen it, Deborah, and how she treats him. She loves him. This other cat, I'm like, well, she needs a buddy, because the kind of cats we have get lonely, so we need another cat. And he was kind of not open, so I pushed and hinted and brought it up, and then I found a deal, a really good deal, a $1,000 cat that was pretty much free. Well, this is an amazing deal, honey. And as the leader of my home, you know, he knew it wasn't the right thing. But he gave in to my push, my hint, my nag. And we got that cat. And we had him probably four or five years. He was a pain in the butt the whole time. <laughs> I mean, diarrhea, like... Out of control diarrhea, we had to buy expensive cat food in order to keep that at bay. And it worked most of the time, but not all the time. He was just smelly. Our house smelled. And it was him. And I didn't realize how bad until he was dead. <laughs> it, and I, you know what? I love my husband. He, he did that for me, and he put up with it. But I should have listened he just knew it was not necessary, and I, I should have let it go. So, anyway, I'm, I'm glad our time with Pablo is over. <laughs> it's been a real blessing since he's begun. I should have listened to my husband in the first place. <sighs> so, listen, there's things that you need. Everyone has needs. Where are we supposed to go when we have needs? We go to him. Jesus can fill our every need, emotional needs. We, he, we've got emotional needs our husbands can't even meet. <laughs> and it's not fair to expect them to. It's not. It's not. We should be taking that stuff to him. Amen. 
Oh, my goodness. Turn to Isaiah 54, 5. You know, this applies to saved and unsaved husbands. I said that. It applies to, you know, maybe you're here and you just have a relationship with your mom and dad. And maybe they don't go to church. These things apply to that also. Watching your mouth, being respectful. This is the way that you will release the power of God to work for you. Amen? We need to focus, stop focusing, because our tendency is to focus on them, especially if you're dealing with someone who, who is backslidden or not in church, all of those things. We tend to focus on what they're doing wrong, and they're somehow ruining our lives. No, fix you. Focus on you. And, and I don't care if you come to church so, you know, regularly, you serve, I don't care. There's something you can do if you will talk to God, say, what is it? If you, you just know in your heart that you could have something greater, if you just know it's there, you might have a great relationship or marriage. But you know there's another level that you could attain. Talk to God about it, but be ready. Be ready, because he's going to talk to you about you. I know you probably think he's going to say, he needs to do this, and he needs to do that, because those things are easy to see. It's easy to see those things, especially if you live with someone 24-7. He's going to talk to you about you. So be ready for that. But it'll be amazing if you will make the choice to make the change. Amen? So lean on this instead of leaning on and pulling on your spouse. Isaiah 54, 5 and 6. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Remind yourself of that. Your maker. If he created you, do you think he knows what you need? He knows what you need. He knows what's in your heart. Even if it's just stuff. I need more clothes. Lean on God. Use your faith. Use your wisdom. Ask for wisdom. Something breaks, don't just call them right away. Don't. Yes, there's things, and, and there's times when they love to come in and, and save the day. Yes, but it can be annoying if it's something that you could have just Googled and figured it out. I found myself doing that all the time, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I could have just looked that up and fixed it myself. And then he wouldn't have had to come home from work all tired. He could have just de-stressed and relaxed. Instead, I had to have him fix something that was broke that I could have done. These are little things. And, and truly, it's little things. It's little things that build up that can be damaging to relationships. All these little things will help. Amen? So lean on him because he is your maker. He knows what you need. He knows what you want. He will take care of you. Amen. And I tell Mia all the time, you know, you, I know you want to grow up and get married and things one day, but you give your heart to Jesus. He has your heart. You're not actually giving your heart to your husband. You're actually not. It's, it's not the way it was designed to be. I mean, you're not going to find that in your Bible. You're not. It's kind of a thing, like, you give your heart and you, when you get married, actually, you don't. You, you don't. You give your heart to him. You know, God has a job for you to do together, and he wants you to enjoy that journey together. 
Amen? But your heart belongs to Jesus. So how do you respond then, if we got to watch our mouths and we got to be respectful, how do we respond if we think our husband's making a mistake? And how many of you have had a husband who might have made a mistake or two? <laughs> you don't have to raise your hands. It's happened to everybody. Or a parent, if you're young, a parent, whatever. It applies there too. First Peter 3, 1, 6. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Another dirty word in culture. Submiss- <laughs> submission. That even if some do not obey the word, some do not obey the word. They're not following the word. That they, without a word, this is where you watch your mouth. You might have to shut your mouth. Without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. You know what the good news is there? It means they do notice you. <laughs> have you ever felt like you're invisible? Do you all remember, have you heard that, that when Aretha Hagen said to Brother Hagen, they were, I think they were on the, door, the steps of a door and they were getting ready to go in somewhere, and she's, she said, I think that if me and the children just fell down and died right here, you wouldn't even notice. <laughs> and and I, I forget what he said, but it was just something like, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not worried. Uh, you know, the, the, the word says not, not to worry, so I wouldn't worry about it. I'm not going to be stressed about it. And I'm sure she was like, thanks a lot. <laughs> I'm sure that made her feel super warm and fuzzy inside. They do notice you. He might have said that to her and... She was like, great, this is a real growth moment for me. And, and obviously she did grow and moved on past it. But they do notice. Your parents notice you. You're not invisible. They do notice, the Bible says, without a word, by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct, accompanied by fear, that can also mean respect. Do not let your dormant just be... I'm just going to say looking good for time's sake. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentle. That's not giving him what for because you know what he needs to hear. No. Gentle and quiet spirit, even if it's not your personality. Ask the Lord to help you if you need help in that area. He will which is precious in the sight of God. Listen, you're not doing it for him. You're not doing it for you. You're doing it for him. You're doing this for him. It's precious to him. It's valuable to him. You don't think he's going to bless that? He's going to take care of that for you? For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Sarah obeyed Abraham. Do you think she might have been like, whoa, what is happening? Go back. I encourage you to go back and read all the stuff she went through married to Abraham. They left a city an established, modern-for-those times city. They didn't leave a tent in the desert. They left a well-established, wonderful place to go into the desert. You don't think that was scary? And she's like, did he really hear from God? And, oh my gosh, we're supposed to have a kid, and I'm like 100 years old, and literally, and 
she went through some stuff, and God saw her response as precious. Did they come through that with flying colors? Are we talking about them thousands of years later? To me, that's, that is victory right there. That is victory. We're gleaming from someone who she probably thought at that time, is this a big deal? You may not think it's a big deal. It was a big deal. Her attitude and her trust, she wasn't trusting Abraham necessarily. She's trusting God. We get to trust God in their leadership. You know, they have a burden of leadership, husbands. They are the head of our home. They have a a weight of that responsibility and leadership that we have to honor and respect. And if we do it God's way, we can trust God is going to take care of us, even if they make a mistake. You make mistakes. They're going to make mistakes. You trust God. You trust him. It's just a choice. It's a choice. So the biggest thing I want to talk about um, this morning, though, turn to Matthew 18, 21. I think one of the biggest obstacles in relationships, this is across the board, but in marriage, is unforgiveness. And Reverend Regina talked about some of that last night, letting things go. So we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about that this morning. It can, be, it can destroy relationships, absolutely destroy. You know, well, let's go ahead and read it first. Let's find out what Jesus said and thought about forgiveness. Then Peter, did I tell you 1821? Okay, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. How often do I have to put up with this? Up to seven times. And he said, I do not say, Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven, but 70 times seven. And don't do the math and think you ran out. <laughs> I've done that. I'm like, I think I've already done that. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I don't have to forgive anymore. He actually put a number. No. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I looked up. What in the world is 10,000 talents? I got two completely different numbers. One number said $3.4 billion. I think that's an overestimation. The next one said about $1.5 million. It's probably somewhere in between. Either way, it was a massive debt. It's in the billions. It's huge. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. He begged for mercy. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant, who just got forgiven, went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's about $5,800 or four months worth of wages compared to the millions or billions that we were looking at who owed him that money and he laid hands on him. He snatched him up and took him by the throat. He said, pay me what you owe after he'd just been forgiven. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not. 
but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. He threw him into prison. Threw him into prison. Remember that. So when his fellow servants saw what he'd done, they were very grieved, came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said, you wicked servant, I forgave you of all that huge, monstrous debt you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father will do to you from his heart If each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother or trespasses. You can't pay a debt if you're locked up in jail. You can not. It says he was through in prison till he should pay the debt. He's not paying that debt. There's nothing he can do. He's not paying one penny locked up in debt. When you don't, when you keep unforgiveness in your heart and The power of God will be locked up, and it will not move. It will not move. God will not be able to do what he is just dying to literally died to do for you, to bless you and bless your relationships. That man refused to make a choice to forgive because it is just a choice. It doesn't have to do with feelings. It is a choice. In 34, it says, And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers. I looked up torturers and tormentors in the Greek, and it says to plague or trouble. When you are harboring unforgiveness or you're letting things build up, in your life, you are submitted to the torturers. The torturers are anger, bitterness, resentment. When you don't forgive, that is what you end up with. And you are the only one who can make that decision to surrender to forgiveness. Surrender. Make that choice. Make that choice. It, it, it's for you, but it pleases God. Listen, built up unforgiveness and bitterness, you're going to make that choice. Does that mean it just goes away overnight? No. It does not just go over. It Did it build up overnight? That kind of like ill will and just resentment, it did not start overnight. When you make that choice, and I'm telling you this because you, you've probably in the past made the choice to do it, and you're like, it, it didn't work. The next thing happened, and then I was right back in that spot again. I was right back into feeling resentful and hurt. It can take time. It can be a journey when you have yielded to that for a long time. It can be a journey. And, and, but you do not just say, well, it didn't work and give up. You never, never, never. That's not living by faith. It's not. That's living by circumstances and feelings. And if you want to get out of those horrible feelings of resentment, anger, and bitterness, because they're not bringing any joy to your life, you've got to make the choice and stick with it. Make it and hold on to it with your life. Now let's look at, turn to Acts 
26. You know, I heard someone say, um, I heard a minister say this, and I thought it was so good. Have you ever, I've heard people say, and I've probably even said it myself, that, oh, it's so hard, it's so hard to forgive. It can be hard. It can be hard if you, you know, yeah, but you don't understand what happened to me. You don't understand. Listen, God understands. He's seen it all. He's seen it all. You have to choose your heart. Which is harder? Making the choice to forgive, allowing, sticking with it, allowing the power of God to change your situation, or living in the hard of resentment, bitterness, stumbling, not having God's best. Which hard do you want to choose? Remember the hard work? The hard work, the good work, it can be a hard good work, but it will produce fruit when you do it God's way, amen? So you make the choice, make the choice, which it's just a choice. Which hard do you want? Which one do you want? Which one's going to produce fruit? The one that might be tough doing it God's way, but you will get through it and be so glad you did, or the other one. So where are we? We're in Acts 6. So, let's look at what at an example of what's possible when you choose to forgive. And this is amazing to me. I don't know why I'd never seen it in the Word before. Acts 6, 7, and 8. And the Word of God increased. Okay, this is when um, Stephen, the martyr, Stephen was on a roll. And the Word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. So this is the part of the book of Acts where they're going out and doing the works of God. And amazing things are happening. God's moving in big ways, but they have a lot of people coming against them. And this is, this is the beginning of his end right here. So he was out doing great wonders and miracles among the people and turned to Acts 7, 51. So he gets up like Peter did. Peter gave, came, came up earlier and talked to him about, you know, this is the Holy Ghost and this, this is all about Jesus, the one you crucified. He gave him this big long speech. And, well, Stephen does the same thing. And it's really long and it's really great. And he explains to them. He even goes back to talking about Moses, all of it. I'm going to skip all that for, for time's sake. But at the very end, the very end, <laughs> I, I kind of want to say he loses it a little bit, but if I was him, I'd be so frustrated too. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. I mean, he, he sticks it to him. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. I mean, these are leaders. These are the spiritual leaders he's telling They've been the leaders for years. They're like, who's this guy? Just showed up on the scene. You know, they were already mad at him. You see, you always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? I mean, one run after another. And they have slain them, which showed them before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the dispensation disposition of angels and have not kept it. So, 754. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They were already angry. They were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, 
looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I mean, he's just caught up. He, he is just in glory. Everything he said was true. I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran up upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Saul was there. And by the, in the context and the way it's worded, he was like, do this, do this. He was a leader of let's get rid of this one. Let's get rid of all the Christians. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Lay not this sin to their charge. Do not hold the sin against them. He says, Lord, forgive them. Forgive them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Stephen, Stephen was led of the Spirit. He, he could have been like, you know, look at me. I'm so humble and so great. Look what I'm doing for you, Jesus. No, he was led of the Lord to say what he said. He was led of the Spirit to say, Father, forgive them, like Jesus did on the cross. Father, forgive them. The power was released. I believe Paul. We have Paul. Saul was there that day. We have Paul. I believe because that power was released that day. It's that important. You may not feel it. You may not realize how important. But if God has told us to do this, he's saying, hold off. No worries. I don't care how bad. I don't care how badly you've been treated. I don't care if even what, you know, sometimes what's happened to us is complete imagination. I don't care if it's not that and it's something real that happened to you. You can forgive. I tell this to the teenagers all the time. Nothing's too big to forgive. Nothing is too big to forgive. God has a plan. He has an out. He has a way. He has an answer. The power was released. Do you think everyone just saw it and knew it and felt it that day? Wow. Probably not. What do we have now because of that that moment? I believe it changed his life. The power was released that day. And very, very, very soon after... Very soon after Saul was converted. Very soon. So, turn to Proverbs 19.11. So, I have a couple of testimonies that I want to read to you. Um, And I have a book that we're going to have on a table. It is for sale, but we're, we're giving it to you at cost. Um... And it's going to be available after lunch. But I've read a lot of marriage books, relationship books, or whatever. This one is hands down the best I have ever read. Ever read. And I've hit on a few of the topics. I'd say forgiveness is the biggest one. But there's, there's a lot more in-depth things, if you want to know more. 
Um, it will be available after lunch because we want everyone to go to lunch and then you can come back and you can get it and then it'll be available after, you know, after the meetings are over. But let me read to you. So it's by Denise Renner. If you've ever heard of Rick Renner, they've been in Moscow for more than 30 years. You know, huge church, many churches, big ministry. But, um, you know, Rama people, they're great. Hands down, best, best book. So she she wrote this book after being in Russia for a while. She noticed the women over there are, like, like large and in charge. Like... Jonna can tell. <laughs> she can testify. She, she spent a long time over there. And she noticed, you know, things weren't good. Things were good in people's marriages and relationships. And, and she, she realized after the war, many of the men were gone, and a lot of them didn't come back. And so they had to be large and in charge. They had to. Well, that's, that's why war and destruction is never good. There's always harmful things. It's ridiculous. And this was one of the, bene- the horrible benefits of it. Well, that carried over to the next generation, seeing them large and in charge, that, oh, this is who I'm supposed to be, and I'm supposed to take over everything in the home and be the leader all the time and be the controlling one. And it was killing people's marriages, And so she wrote this book, and she actually did some seminars. And so she had some testimonies, and I'm going to read one of them. That hit me the most. All right, I have 141. Okay, so she goes to minister in a church. And she meets, for the first time, she's getting to know the pastor's wife. And um, she, she doesn't really know anything about her. And she's like, oh, you know, I, I don't know how they got in the conversation. But she said, I used to be married. And she's like, oh, really? Well, tell me your story. And so she said, this, this woman told me about her first marriage. Her first husband was so abusive and overtaken by alcohol that he affected their son's ability to learn. She said, I divorced him, and after that I got saved. He was so abusive. He affected their son's ability to learn. I believe it sounds like he was physically abusive. She said, I got saved. I divorced him after that. I got saved. So this was, you know, her previous life. She wasn't saved. I was also filled with the Holy Spirit, and it was shortly afterward that I realized that I couldn't keep living with unforgiveness in my heart towards my first husband. This woman had remarried after her divorce, and God had given her a good husband, but she could see, she could see herself starting to put on him that same kind of expectation to disappoint her that she had connected with her first husband. She was living in fear. Fear is like a really good friend of unforgiveness. They're buddies. Her second husband wasn't doing those abusive things, but because of her unforgiveness towards her first husband, the woman was being influenced by that wrong expectation and had started projecting that poisonous attitude onto her second husband. After this, the woman was saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out to the Lord, Lord, I know I need to forgive my first husband, but I need your help. She sought the Lord. Number one thing to do. Number one thing. 
One day, she was cleaning out a filthy apartment. It was filled with things that needed to be thrown away. She'd stuffed several bags with trash to throw out and was so pleased with all the work she had done. Then she looked over and saw a tiny piece of paper on the counter and immediately thought, oh, I better get that. At that instant, the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, see that big pile of trash you gathered you're so proud of? She answered, yes, Lord. I'm very happy to finally be getting rid of it. The Holy Spirit continued, now look at that tiny piece of paper on the counter. The debt you owed me is represented by that enormous pile of trash. You're so happy to have finally thrown out. Then the Holy Spirit said, the debt of offense and pain that came from your ex-husband is like that small piece of paper. By comparison, that small piece of paper. In comparison to the weight of sin that I removed from you in my death and resurrection, his offense is very small. She saw it in a flash. In that moment, she realized, how can I ever compare the two offenses? She saw that she had been forgiven such a huge debt. I don't want to cry. Yet she was holding her ex-husband to a small one in comparison. In the perspective of eternity, The abuse her ex-husband put her through was small compared to everything God had forgiven her for. She had wiped her slate clean and had forever thrown out all the many piles of her trash, things that were lost in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be retrieved or remembered. Yet her attention had been focused on one sin as reflected by that piece of paper lying on the countertop. When she saw what the Lord was saying to her, she said, Oh God, please forgive me. Forgive me for holding my ex-husband to his wrong behavior. She was holding him in prison, not allowing the power of God to move like it was supposed to, the way God wanted to move. Forgive me for holding him to his wrong behavior, the offense he brought to me, the hurt he inflicted on my heart, and the pain he brought to our son. Please forgive me for holding him in that place. I forgive him, and I release him right now. When she forgave him, this woman set her ex-husband free, and as a result, God's blessing began to flow freely into her second marriage. Now she has a wonderful marriage with her new husband because she's no longer carrying around pain and offense from her previous marriage. She freed her ex-husband, freed herself. You're actually putting yourself in prison. And free God to work grace and mercy into her present situation and her future. Not only that, her God healed her son. He was physically hurt so bad, he couldn't, he had learning disabilities. He was completely made whole by that choice. Completely made whole. Forgiveness opened the door of heaven into every part of her life. You don't want to miss out on what God has for you because of stupid stuff. And most of the time it's stupid stuff. (laughs) Stupid. Even if it's not stupid. It's not always stupid. Was it stupid for her? By 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 every, you know, everyone in this room would be like, that was serious. That was horrible. God changed her life in that moment when she made that choice. So I'm going to read you one more quick testimony, and it's a single girl's testimony of a relationship with her father. I'm going to try to do it really quick. 
Okay. I'm not married, but decided to um, put what I learned into action because I wanted to be prepared to be the best wife, you know, a better wife one day. I am a Christian, but my father is a devout follower of another faith. Ever since I became a Christian, our relationship has been strained. So I decided to put the truths I was learning at, at one of the seminars she had done at home in my relationship with my father. My father and I argued a lot, and at first it was difficult for me to walk in a humble spirit of gentleness, respect, and honor. But I did it. Gradually, he began to notice a change in me. In the past, I would argue belligerently when he said something that went against my faith and my values. But I started giving a soft answer to my father, the kind of answer that turns away wrath, Proverbs 15.1. It didn't work immediately, but I stayed with it. And finally, my father began to respond peacefully and graciously to the new me. My father didn't like the fact I was going to church I just began to humble myself before him and simply say to him, Dad, I respect you and I understand your point of view. And something began to happen. Our relationship became less and less strained. And joy even returned to our relationship. He stopped complaining about my faith and about my church. And in a culture where marriages are sometimes arranged, that, she's, this is a Russian girl, my father actually said to me, I don't believe like you do, but it'd be okay with me if you met, married one of those gentlemen in the church that you go to. Everything turned, turned for this girl. This turnaround in my father's behavior was nothing short of miraculous, and I know it because I, was stop, I, because I stopped arguing and started respecting. Something that doesn't... It, it can, you know, in this world, it can be so natural and can seem not that big a deal. It is a big deal. Listen, we want God moving, moving in every area of our lives. And we have to, have to, have to do it his way. Have to do it his way. So, some of the other things, I only touched on a few things here. I do encourage you to read this book. Listen, if you're, you're like, well, I'm not married. I don't need it. You have married friends. You can give them advice. People at work always run to coworkers and complain about their spouses, their children. I work. I work a full-time job. I hear it. It's the, it's the topic of most people all day long. They need to know what you know, but you've got to know what the Bible says about how to do this, how to release the power of God to really make a change, to really move. And, and you know, he, there's next level. You might say, I have a wonderful relationship. Well, there's more because God's a topper. You can't, you can't stop. You can't max out. You can't max out on what he has for you or your relationships. It can not be done. So a few other things that are in here is talking about not violating your husband's trust. You don't go tell the whole world about his problems, about things you know. Listen, you live with someone and they live with you. They're going to see some things that aren't amazing. <laughs> some things that might not be great and look ugly. You don't go tell everybody. So it talks about not violating his trust, recognizing his burden of leadership and responsibility, accepting your husband for who he is, even if, you know, he's into, like, some interesting things. (laughs) Yes, I'm thinking of Q. 
Lizzie loves them and accepts all of that, don't you? <laughs> yes. <she. laughs> and talks about getting over your roots of insecurity. Because that, that can be a big, big, big thing that can cause a problem. It can cause a problem in any relationship. So um, I want you guys to go ahead and stand to your feet. Where's Michael? Is he in here? Okay, he's coming. Lord, just raise your hands. We love you, Lord. We trust you. We want to do it your way. We want the power of God moving in our relationships, moving in our life in a way that, that we've never had before. It's not that you didn't want to move huge. It's that we stopped the flow. And so we purpose, purpose to do to do this your way. We purpose to do everything your way. We purpose to do our relationships according to you, your word. We purpose to do our marriages according to your word because we want your best. If we do it our way, we get it our way. We don't want it our way. We want it your way. Your way is amazing, mind-blowing. There's things that we've never even experienced yet that we can experience whole new levels if we will allow you to do what you uh, are so eager to do in our lives. And we purpose, we purpose Today, today, we, like Steve said a few weeks ago, we're going to draw a line in the sand. No longer, no longer our way. No longer. Done. Done. Over. We are going to do it your way. No matter how much work it is. We're, no matter how hard it feels, we're going to choose our hard. We choose to put in that work. Renew our minds. That's the only reason it feels hard. When we renew our minds to you and what your word said, oh, your burden is light. You told us that. And that flood, that flood of ease, of ease and weightlessness will come in. We choose, choose, and stick with it to do it your way. To do it your way. Not what we learn growing up. Not what we hear every day. We choose you. We make that choice, Lord. And we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. You are awesome. We thank you for, oh, that release of power that only you could do the miraculous change changes that we need that our heart longs for changes changes that we need we thank you we thank you lord that 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 is coming and we look forward to it we look forward oh you're so good you're so good we love you lord we love you lord you're so faithful At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. 
If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.